Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash God is Gray. Now, on to the episode. Oh, hello. <laughs> Look at that shirt. Yes. So cool. I was like, this is the perfect shirt for my Joshua Harris interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's you Nicole's know? shirt, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I love yeah. it. I love She's it. awesome. <laughs> Hi, beautiful people. Today, we have a guest that I've been wanting to have since the inception of God is Gray, Mr. Joshua Harris, author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. <laughs> so I have a very exciting announcement that I'm telling you all for the very first time, which which is that I made this little video for Josh. I was very nervous about it because I really wanted him to say yes, but he agreed to write the forward for my novel um, on her knees. And so that's in there. And I'm just so excited to share all of that with you. But the reason this is so important to me is because I felt that I Kiss Dating Goodbye was the quintessential purity book, and I love to frame mine as the quintessential anti-purity culture book. So having Josh's stamp of approval on it and his endorsement was just like, made my heart soar. I would just say, like, it, it felt really redemptive to me to get to uh, read your book and then write the foreword for it. So I feel so honored to to kind of um, be a part of cheering on the work that you're doing and the message that you're sharing. And I just think the way that you've so powerfully, so vulnerably talked about your own story is, is going to affect a lot of people. So thank, mm -hmm. you for, thank you for writing the book. Thank you. Were you horrified to see that you're uh, the mess that you inadvertently got me into? <laughs> that's what the whole book is about, basically. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I mean it's it's uh, there's there's definitely that that feeling. I mean, I carry this around all the time as I interact with people. Um, the impact of the ideas of purity culture, which my book was was such a big part of popularizing, are so real and they're so painful, and people are still working through those things. And yet, I'm also interacting with these incredibly powerful people that are taking back ownership of their sexuality, taking back pleasure, you know, either in some cases 
leaving religion and that the purity culture was such a big part of or redefining their views of God in really powerful ways. And so there's kind of this dual thing happening where there's sadness and seeing the impact of my writing. And then like this excitement to see that I feel like there's this, this rising group of women and men and, you know, all across the spectrum that are just these powerful voices for, for transformation. Yeah, that's really incredible. And I definitely chewed on the idea of having you write the forward because I initially wanted it to be a woman that was almost like had um, nothing to do with our culture that was like kind of always presented as a free woman. Uh, Some of the voices I was trying to go after were Katy Perry and Glennon Doyle. And, um, and a part of my resistance was like, are people going to be mad at me for sort of platforming, quote unquote, Mm. the person that is attributed to hurting us all so much. Mm. But the way I stand, and I truly believe this, is that we're all victims of this culture. You Mm. wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye when you were 21 freaking years old. Mm. You were a homeschool kid. And, you know, I don't, I don't feel that you have to carry that forever and ever especially like you said within this like redemptive process you really were willing to face the music and and look into the effect that that book had so I know that I I feel like I started God is Gray and then I saw on Twitter that there was this movement hashtag I survived I kissed dating goodbye Mm. that was actually one of the very first times that I realized I wasn't alone because when I first started speaking out three years ago, I didn't know of all these phenomenal people that were going to come out of the woodwork in our progressive circle, or like you said, ex-evangelical and never gone back circle. And um, so when I saw those women saying that, and then all the voices talking about their hurt and pain, I was like, oh, whoa, there is a reckoning happening. Is he going to say anything? And you made your own documentary in response to it. And then people, I feel like we're still really mad at you. So can you tell me what it felt like maybe to wake up on the first mm. morning that you're sort of beginning to reckon with the, the results of I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Wow. You know, it was a slow process for me. I mean, one of the things that um, I feel the most regret about, uh, you know, looking back on writing the book, I, I thought I was doing God's will. I thought I was, you know, sharing the truth. I believed it with all my heart. It was totally sincere in that sense. The thing that I regret is how long it took me to listen to those critical voices. You know, it was just, it was too easy for me to sort of just listen to the positive reviews on Amazon and, you know, just listen to the people saying, you're, you know, you're, you're doing God's work, you're, you're God's messenger, that kind of thing, and write people off as haters that, that disagreed or were saying, this is, this is not healthy, this is not good. And so it really took failure in my own life and pain in my own life and seeing the church that I was the lead pastor of start to crumble in different ways and, you know, face up to mistakes I made as a pastor failing to properly report sexual abuse, mm-hmm. seeing these, these issues in our own local church where there's a really damaging culture and starting to connect the dots and go, wow, like my book is a part of this. My book was another law that was added to scripture that people felt like they had to live up to. But I was still, it was still so hard for me to 
you know, just grapple with that. I, it was like psychologically so <laughs> painful to kind of open the door that this could be really wrong, you know? So it was, it really came in phases of like, well, maybe this was misapplied, you know, people applied this wrongly, you know, kind of putting it on them instead of taking responsibility. <laughs> yeah. You're like, look at the plank in your own eye, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was really kind of a slow, a slow journey for me. And, and it's so hard too. like, you know, people who have been hurt by these ideas, they're, they're processing things. They're not, you know, they're angry, rightfully angry, you know, and when you encounter someone like that, it's hard to kind of like see the truth they're sharing because you just go into protective mode, you know, mm-hmm. you go into this mode of like, well, wait a second, I was well-intentioned, you know, I was trying to help people, that kind of thing. And so just a lot of patient people out there um, who talked with me, who had conversations, um, sometimes they would, you know, do that privately. Like they would say like, listen, I can't be identified with you <laughs> publicly you know, be seen hanging out with you, but let's have a phone call and their stories and their counsel really started to open my eyes to say, wow, there's really something here. And the documentary was, I was in grad school. It was a a project, like a, my basically thesis project with another student. And it gave me the framework to have a lot of conversations. And it was a way for me to kind of go on a journey of asking questions and the journey continued after the documentary. So the documentary is kind of one slice and I've, I've really changed and grown even since then, but it was a, it was a process and it was hearing stories and, you know, standing face to face with people. I think women in a particular way bore the brunt of, of purity culture. The men are damaged by it too, but women in particular, their stories, you know, the documentary was, uh, directed and produced by an amazing woman, Jessica Vander Weingard, really talented lady. And it was really her vision to to bring this together and, and tell these stories. Um, so yeah, different people, gay, straight, all over the place were having conversations with me and 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 walking me through the impact of the ideas and showing me that first, there was a consistency of story. It wasn't just an isolated thing. Oh, that was you, or that was your church, but it was across the board in many ways. And it wasn't just because someone was forcing it on them. Like it wasn't just pastors who were making them read a book, although that happened, you know, or parents making kids read a book, but it was these really well-intentioned, idealistic, zealous young Christians that were taking the ideas of my book and they were, the, you know, the ideas were in my book. In other words, you know, I was really arguing for um, these, these, this perspective where, I mean, I think I misrepresented scripture. I took scripture out of context. I used these like stories to illustrate points and the places where I qualified things, it's overwhelmed by the emotion of stories, you know, those types of things. So when I went yeah. back and read the book, I was like, wow, I, I see how, you know, a young person would take this in and think to really experience God's best, to be blessed, to have a happy marriage, to have a good sex life. This is how you have to do it. And, you know, sometimes it takes time for the bad fruit of bad ideas to really be seen. And I think that's what's happened with the, with purity culture is that there's so many people who are stepping forward in the church, outside of the church saying this, this kind of rhetoric and these ideas led to these consequences and, and we can do a lot better. Mm. You're so right too, because 
I also have been taking credit for the way that I perpetuated harm onto others because mm -hmm. I have this very distinct memory, me and all my super zealous Christian girlfriends, we were all like 15 years old and we went to this big outdoor concert somewhere in Philly. And one of my sweet girlfriends who is now a lesbian married to a beautiful woman after like suffering through a 10 year marriage with a pastor, mm -hmm. <laughs> a man. Um, but I remember she was holding the book and at some point it dropped on the ground and all these people walked by and were making fun of us. They're like, I kissed dating goodbye. What's that about? Gosh. And we just felt like we had to take up our cross and we were bold to be like, no, this is a good way to live. And it was right. always kind of, it was us. Like I was the main purveyor because I remember taking that book and dragging all those girls to the Christian bookstores to get our purity rings. Wow. Um, so I was like number one zealot queen of purity culture. You know, when people say, how did you fall for that? Like, how could you have not have seen it? And it was because I had this very pure, innate, gorgeous connection with divinity since I was a little mm. girl. And then when I was 12 years old and I was like handed your book and handed this rhetoric from our pastor, I was like, oh, I didn't know God cared about my sexuality like this. I didn't know that God cries when I have sex with somebody else. I didn't know I'd be less valuable to my husband, all of these things. Right. And it broke my heart because they told me it broke God's heart. And all right. I wanted to do was please God. Exactly. I will admit one thing though. I thought you were bananas for saying kit safe kissing for marriage. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to masturbate and I'm going to make out. I, I'll give you guys the rest. <laughs> that is so funny. A uh, little too extreme for me. <laughs> you were you were at least even then you were thinking like you were you were you were trying to go along with the plan but you were still thinking for yourself that's good yeah I was because I remember asking specifically because I was like masturbating since I was like three years old from my memory so it could have been even earlier which is very common for girls mm -hmm. so I just remember being like you got these Bible, like onanism isn't really working for me. You've got one verse plucked out of Song of Solomon, like don't awaken or stir love before right. it so desires. And I'm like, but that's an erotic novel. Like I had enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was it's like, you're not taking. Even, it's amazing that even at that time, you were willing to kind of push back against, you know, the, the predominant, very predominant thinking. Like that way of viewing masturbation is, is there's not like a, they're not like camps within churches, like pro masturbation camps <laughs> exist. You know what I mean? At least they never they never uh, publicize their meetings. Right. <laughs> I'm just Those impressed were... by I'm impressed by that honestly because I think that show I think that's a little glimmer of who you are and what you've gone on to do. Like this mm. willingness to to think differently around sexuality and, and stand <laughs> up for things. So it's great. <laughs> I appreciate it. you could say that. You could also be like, she really loved masturbating. She <laughs> didn't want to let it go. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Who doesn't? Who is, who is like that, you know, that was not that enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> Never doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's true. It's like, it's, I keep thinking of how we're like reading the Bible upside down in so many ways. And that's with so many different things. But like, um, I just remember fighting so hard against my biology teacher for a six day earth, for example. And to your point, I was like, well, that was my tenacity, but I was just reading the Bible upside down at the point. Now it's like turned right side up and I'm arguing mm. for science. <laughs> right, right. I guess 
I'm just really curious how you started when you were like unraveling the ideas, mm. what were some of the standout ones to you that you were like, I don't know, were there specific ones that you were like, oh, this really makes sense. Like when you were talking about there's certain themes and through lines that a lot of mm. us like basically suffered through from that rhetoric. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, are any of those the reason that you kind of like catapulted into this deconstruction zone that mm. you wound up in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of the consistent themes that really s stood out to me first, just the idea that there was such a negative fear-based approach to sex mm. and that people were supposed to completely switch gears and become, you know, passionate about sex, skilled in making love and knowing their own bodies when they'd been like, you know, in avoidance mode for, for so long. And so that theme for a lot of people um, was something that really stood out to me. I think another thing was just the, the levels of guilt, you know, the idea that there was such a focus on this part of our humanity, these really, you know, extreme standards that, you know, as you point out, are not really in scripture. You're kind of like, <laughs> it's like you shouldn't have sex before marriage. So then, you know, backing that up more and more and more, um, that kind of hyper-focus I think I, I began to see from different people's stories, even in my own life, how it's like your whole like relationship to God, your whole view of yourself is so tied to how you're doing, mm. you know, how you're doing <laughs> yeah. in relationship to this, you know? So it's like men's groups being so focused on pornography and masturbation or whatever it might be, the, the you know, be, people being tied in knots over that and then coming into their marriage and sex being so tainted, like the, the storyline is, you know, having sex before marriage, pornography, all these things, those things will taint your marriage. That's the message. And what it kind of does, it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know what I mean? Like totally. people are like, I've been tainted, you know, I've been ruined in some way. Or the, the wife is saying, oh my gosh, he's looked at pornography. He's bringing all of this. And, and so suddenly this area that could be about exploration and joy and fulfillment is like all this judgment is being carried in and it's coming from, it's coming from books like mine, you know, it's coming from the church. And that's the thing that I just was, was so heartbroken by. And then the final thing I think is this massive promise. It's like Ugh, the, the yes. promise of my book, the promise of purity culture is if you do it this way, you will get the best, you know, Christian sex is the best sex within marriage is the best. And I, I hope people's, you know, sex lives in marriage are awesome. I know couples who saved sex for marriage and then had, you know, a cra you know, crazy monkey sex the rest of their life. And I'm happy. <laughs> I'm super happy for them. Yeah. But that's not the only story. Yeah. And there are, are many, many, many stories of people who come into marriage and boy, it's not everything they hoped or they don't get married at all you know, and suddenly there's no pathway for them to be sexual creatures, you know, and, or there's so much disappointment and pain. So those, those are the kinds of, you know, stories that made me realize my book so overpromised and gave this picture of perfection. And that's not how life works. You might think that's how life works when you're 21, but that is not how life works. Well, you bring up a good point. I kept wondering on watching your journey, like, 
who the hell propped up this 21 year old version of yourself as the prophet of all sexuality? Like, (laughs) and I kept thinking too, like the audacity of churches to teach purity culture, even to this day, and then simultaneously counsel married couples through all of the dysfunction that came from that teaching. I'm like, how are you not seeing the correlation between these two things? But you think there was that counseling was even happening though? Do you think those couples even had a, a means by which to say, uh, hold up, this is not working? Like I, I think well, you, a lot of people suffered in silence, don't you think? Well, yeah, they either suffered in silence or very sadly, it was always, uh, well, the wife's body needs to stay hot. Is the wife doing enough? And And I say this in my book too, like women at the women's conferences are always like, I love when my man does the dishes, that turns me on. And I'm like, I don't need a dude to do all the feminine chores to like make me horny. Like this is so (laughs) dumb. And there's also like never the acknowledgement that women want sex just as much. I wish I knew uh, the name of this book. I just remember I just listened to a podcast by Dan Savage, who is like my favorite sex educator. Mm -hmm. I love him. But basically this woman did this extensive study on male sexuality and the conclusion was men are like women and they have the same desires and they have the same wants and needs and like all of our sexuality is on a scale like some people desire a lot some people desire a little people are people right so i think one of the hugest things is like all of the prescriptive things to healing a sex life of a married couple were like husband are you doing dishes wife are you going to the gym enough are you being sexually available like Uh, like all that gross stuff and then the the ephesians five twenty two thing of like submit to each other is so heavily based on like this concept that guys want sex all the time which also screws us up because if you're a very sexually motivated woman yeah you like, feel- like a friend of mine <laughs> <laughs> i know someone <laughs> <laughs> yeah like sometimes a woman is the more sexually motivated person in the relationship. So then we end up feeling inadequate or I'm not doing enough or why isn't he turned on by me? And then the guy feels inadequate because he's been given this script of like, you're just going to want to bang all the time. Right. You know, so we both end up feeling like we're in this chaos and dysfunction because well, of- and, and then there's no, there's no outlet. In other words, even like masturbation and those types of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those were not celebrated at all. You know, yeah. that, was, that was going to take you away from the marriage. And so where there's a mismatch of sexual appetite, there's like no options. Right. Yeah. They're like, live happily ever after, just like Josh Harris said. <laughs> it's your fault. Uh, yeah. What a disaster. What a can I ask disaster. you a question? You can ask me anything I'm, you like. I'm curious when you think about your book, Landing, is there... Is there, are, is there a part of you that is nervous in any way? Like, this is a really incredible story, number one, but also you're opening up your life in a really uh, amazing way. How are you feeling about that? Thank you for asking, Josh. I'm terrified. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm just so nervous. I have... I'm like afraid for it to be successful. I'm afraid for it not to be successful. Mm. I think I'm more afraid of it not being successful and to um, 
qualify success, I mean, like for it to have a positive impact on a large number of people, specifically like survivors of this culture. Mm. Um, Also, I have secrets in there that I was so ashamed of for so long. I think being in an abusive relationship was one of the greatest points of shame in my life. Mm. And I, I keep describing to everybody that I see my life, my sexuality as this pendulum where I had tools like purity culture and your book that had me all the way up here being perfect, saving myself from marriage, da, 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 da. And that pendulum broke. And I really believe it breaks for everybody. Everyone has a moment of reckoning, whether it be the gender script doesn't work or your happily ever after doesn't happen, whatever, a tragedy, it breaks. So when my husband admitted he was cheating on me, my pendulum went swinging all the way to the other side. It's not like you like center and you're like, okay, now I'm just going to have sexual integrity and be really emotionally healthy. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) no. Um, Yeah. And that's what I'm praying that my book offers this like centeredness. Like I see mine as this cautionary tale of like, for the love of God, please don't do it Mm -hmm. the way that I did it. And um, I see the other side as like, hookup culture, which Mm. I was so deep in, I can't even tell you. And I, all of that culminated, it was like this constant abuse of my body. And I don't just mean for being sexually active. I mean, for not being empowered to know that I could advocate for myself in certain situations, not knowing how to say no, if I was like already naked, or if I was already at the person's house, or guys will do that negging thing where they'll be like, Oh, I thought you were cool. Or I thought we we know all of that stuff. And like, without self esteem, really, is what I was lacking in so many cases, I didn't know how to say no. And sometimes got myself in some really sad sticky situations Mm. so I carried so much shame because all of that culminated into this wickedly abusive relationship and it was really healing I suppose or at least it was a first step in healing to write about that and I knew that I couldn't frame it with shame Mm. because as I was writing it you know I still identify as Christian so I was like communing with the spirit while I'm writing it And I knew that if I put my shame on the page, then other people in that situation would feel shame about being in that. So it's very important to be like, I'm not going to put shame on this page. And it forced me to remove a lot of the shame from my own self. That's so good. It's good. But oh my gosh, I'm like, am I going to get slaughtered for, I have some things to confess, as Mm -hmm. you know, from reading it, I haven't confessed a thing or two yet. And I'm going to have to Mm. make a video and be open about it. And I'm really nervous Mm. for people to know like who I really am and where I've really been. But those, but your honesty is going to be so healing for people and so instructive for people because to me that's the sad thing about the way the world works so often is that people edit their stories for whatever context they're in you know they they get up and they they talk about the christian life in a certain way that just doesn't reflect reality mm. you know because they're leaving out the things that are not working and the pain that's present and, and then even in the secular world, that can happen too, where people are just, they just want to, you know, be a proponent of a certain way of thinking or living. And they're not honest about 
you know, the heartbreak or the, you know, the challenges and those types of things. And I just think so many people are going to be on that pendulum swing. And for you to honestly share your experience and both, you know, do that without shame. And then, but then also point out things that you learned, like that is such gold for people. And that's where I think it's going to be so powerful. And absolutely people are going to attack you because that kind of freedom and like freedom from shame scares the hell out of, out of religious people. And, mm. and so that judgment will come, but the people who need it, I think they're just going to, it's going to be like a, you know, an oasis in the desert for a lot of people. Thank you. That means so much. <laughs> I'm nervous, but I know I have such incredible support. Yeah. You no, know, I mean, I think that one of the things that I was so struck by in your book and just your approach to, to faith is your, your ability to be so free and so non-judgmental, so, you know, inclusive and loving, and then still like hold on to this wonderful spirituality. And I, I don't know if it's uh, something in my personality <laughs> or my own, like, you know, kind of tradition that I experienced of faith, but that's like, it's hard for me to do that. Like, it's hard for me to imagine a Christian faith that, that makes room in the way that you're able to, to kind of integrate in a way that I, I respect so much. I think it's so beautiful, but it's more like scratching my head. Like, how does Brenda do that? You know? <laughs> and I, um, and I, and maybe, I don't know, I guess I just wanted to ask you how you think about that, because that's probably the thing that challenged me the most from your book is mm. that, with all the judgment, with all the, you know, ways that, you know, wrong ideas shaped you in, in religion, you're still like have such a deep love for God. There's like such a, a real spirituality there. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, how does that play out in real life? How do you maintain that? Oh, I love this question. Thank you. Um, I was reflecting a lot when I was writing on the positive sides of my evangelical moment in mm. the world, which is like, you know, 12 years of my life. Right. And the beautiful thing is, even though it was plucked out of context from script scripture, like in Jeremiah, like all of these gigantic verses about like, you will be a generation that will change the world. And like, they plucked all of these ancient verses out and they were like, this is about you guys, you teenagers. And yeah. it wasn't theologically sound really, if you look at it, but the kind of like tenacity and joy and hopefulness mm. it instilled in me is something that I've never been able to remove from myself. And again, because I always had this faith since I was little like it's easy for me not to judge people that don't resonate with Jesus or the concepts or biblical concepts, because I feel like I cheated in some ways. Like it always felt just like in my bones and in my blood. But when those pastors told me you will do great things, you will change the world. You will restore mm. the church to the world. It's such a crazy irony when I look at it now, because at the time when I moved to LA, as you know, for my book, like I wanted to be a movie star. And it's so interesting because if I look at it, I'm like, I wanted to be a movie star because movie stars were the ones that had a voice in the world. Right. They were the ones that would like be on the cover of Vogue and be like, by the way, like 
factory farming is awful. And I was always observing people that were actually doing really good things in the world, using their voice, using their money for good. Yeah. But I didn't foresee the internet. So I didn't know that you could do something of your, like make something of yourself just by right. having a camera at your own home. Yeah. So it kind of helped me like let go of needing to have that, my life look in that certain way. But now I look at it and I'm like, they told us we would change the church. And what are we doing right now? What is this beautiful movement of people, mm. whether they're completely deconstructed and they're like, I'm never coming back or they're somewhere in the middle. I'm looking back at these little prophecies that us 12 year olds are passing back and forth to each other. And I'm like, maybe my friend Danine was right. She had this beautiful divine moment with me where she was like, you're going to be a writer and you're going to change the world for the better. And I look back at that and I'm like, well, that wasn't wrong, <laughs> which is so crazy. And even if it's in a niche space and it's only like a couple hundred thousand people, that's still like more than I could have ever imagined. Mm. So I just know that it's not God that gave us these things. It's not God mm. that gave us systemic racism and we didn't build our church on a foundation of fear because of him like mm -hmm. even the bible says not to fear over 90 times mm -hmm. and yet we had the fear in ourselves or the audacity or whatever right. it was to build an entire faith on fear an entire mm -hmm. sexuality on fear so i actually think it's a beautiful move of the spirit and it and it shows divinity to me in an even broader and more beautiful way mm -hmm. that we are waking up to these things it's so painful to see like all of these black bodies in the streets with no justice mm -hmm. it's so painful to hear about all of the victims of church abuse and mm -hmm. assault but at the same time i keep thinking oh my god thank god that we know thank God we know and thank God, just as we were telling each other when we were 12, there's this beautiful group of faith-filled people rising up and doing something about it. So that's where I'm at. But as far as like judgment, I'm like, why would I judge anyone on their journey? That doesn't even mm -hmm. make any sense. Like life to me is this grand adventure. I think the point of life genuinely is to draw closer, closer to divinity. Mm. But to me, divinity really is what it says it is. It's love, like with a capital L. So the closer you're drawing to that, the more wisdom you're acquiring in this world, you are on the path. You are doing right by God. And everyone is welcome, no matter where they are on that journey, including the people screaming at me and telling me I'm going to hell. I can't judge them either because I used to be them. So why am I going to be out here judging that? Um, yeah. I just, I think it's amazing how you're able to combine like this, this lack of judgment, this compassion towards other people, and then like this crazy courage to like go toe to toe <laughs> with people, <laughs> call them out, force them into dialogue, you know, like really speak truth to power. Like, I, one of my focuses in my, my graduate studies was the role of the prophetic, like these prophetic voices and, and what that tells us about communication today. And I just think you are like embodying so much of that. It's this prophetic approach to capture people's attention, to force people to look at things that they don't want to look at. Um, and I, it, you know, and make people uncomfortable, but there's, I know there's a cost for you. And I feel, I think you're, you're already like, 
you counted that cost, you're feeling it more with your book coming out because you're, it's an even more kind of powerful prophetic statement um, that's so personal. But I'm just grateful you're, you're willing to, to kind of bear that and, and keep going. It's oh, it really is. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that brings me back to another thing too. People always told me I was prophet. I have prophetic gifts. Wow. And, and when you just look at the raw definition of it, it is exactly what you're saying, like bringing truth to power and yeah. holding people accountable. And everyone says prophets were hated. <laughs> so That's I'm like true. knocking off all these boxes, I suppose. That's so true. <laughs> what well, is your gift? Um, that's a good question. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, um, I mean, I, I think, I don't know exactly how we define my gift, but I, I feel a particular desire to like come alongside other people and kind of help platform their messages. And that's a big part of what I, you know, and I'm doing with different people where I feel like I was given this big platform I regret a lot of things about the way <laughs> that worked out. And mm -hmm. now I'm, I'm trying to find ways to lift up, you know, other voices and uh, encourage other people. And I, I love how there are just so many, so many people, particularly women, because, you know, a lot of my teaching as a pastor and in my books really stifle the voices of women. And so part of my hope for whatever time I have on this planet is to, to be a part of reversing that and being a part of like handing out those megaphones to to women in particular mm. well yeah you are really embodying and living that out and i'm so grateful because i always notice it when you're doing it i appreciate it so much and again like i said your endorsement of my book was so meaningful it just made me cry and what you've written made me cry too i was just i've been so overwhelmed by it so thank you so oh, much so happy you <laughs> Well, where can everyone find you online? I know you're into marketing now. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you're up to and then what your, what your voice and platform is like online. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do uh, storytelling. I, I kind of hate the word marketing, but that is what it is. You know, I build websites for companies and help them clarify their message. That the is marketing. Most, <laughs> the thing, that's marketing. The thing that I'm most excited about, though, is I've started to do what I call message clarity coaching with individuals. And that's really kind of helping people walk through their own story and their own journey, even their own pain, and kind of figure out how that has shaped the message that they have inside of them. And so then kind of helping them work through like, how are they gonna share that? Who do they wanna share it with? And it's this really powerful process of like an internal reflection and you know, setting real goals and being ambitious in new ways. And for a lot of people who are kind of on a similar pathway as me, it's like you had a whole way of thinking about the world that shifted in some way, but you still feel like you wanna make a difference. You still feel like there's something inside of you that you wanna share with others. And so I'm doing these coaching uh, groups with people and it's just making me so happy, you know, like <laughs> I've, got, I've got this, yeah, I mean, I just, the, mm. I had a sex worker in the last one. I had a lawyer. I have people that are in different forms of ministry. It's like all over the place and they're all coming together in this amazing space where they're like, I want to, I want to share my story and my message with the, the world. So that's probably the thing I'm, I'm most excited about. 
That's awesome. I can tell it lights you up. You're literally <laughs> lighting up. <laughs> That's really beautiful. Uh, okay. Well, no one by I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It is <laughs> it's it no longer available. <laughs> All my books have been unpublished. Unfortunately, books live on forever on, on used Amazon. But uh, yeah, please don't buy those one, <laughs> one cent copies that are out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and that's it. We love you all so much. God bless.